there can't possibly be a 13th Amendment problem with like coercing a corporation into doing something right. Corporations aren't, they're not natural people. They have owners, right? They're like we, we enslave corporations all the time and, and we shouldn't feel bad about that. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Taboo Trades Podcast, a show about stuff we aren't supposed to sell, but do anyway. I'm your host, Kim Kravick. My guest today is Nate Oman, the W. Taylor Reveille III Research Professor and Co-Director of the Center for the Study of Law and Markets at William & Mary School of Law. He specializes in contract law, the economic analysis of law, jurisprudence, law and religion, and legal history. Today, we're discussing his 2009 article, Specific Performance and the 13th Amendment, published in the Minnesota Law Review. The article first came to my attention this summer when the internet erupted with suggestions that the specific performance clause in the Elon Musk, or more precisely, the X Holdings merger agreement with Twitter, wasn't enforceable because of the 13th Amendment. As you'll hear in this episode, Nate is having none of that. I'll split my discussion with Nate into two parts. In this part, largely driven by questions from UVA Law 3Ls, Bridget Boyd and Jen Scholar, who are my co-hosts for today, we discuss the Musk Twitter litigation and the various provisions of the merger agreement, including the specific performance provision and the termination fee. If you're covering that litigation in class this year, in my completely and wholly unbiased view, the episode makes a really nice introduction for students to some of these issues. I'm here chatting with my co-hosts for today, Bridget Boyd and Jen Scholar, in advance of our interview with William & Mary Law Professor Nate Oman. So guys, first of all, introduce yourselves and just say hi to our listeners. Hi, everyone. My name is Jen Scholar. I'm a 3L here at UBA Law, and I'm really excited to talk to Nate about how specific performance applies in the modern context, and specifically in terms of the corporate realm. I'm hoping to practice corporate law after I graduate, and I think it'll be interesting to see what he has to say about this. Hi, everyone. I'm Bridget Boyd. I'm also a 3L at the University of Virginia. Um, similar to Jen, I am interested in the corporate practice, and after graduation, I'll be going to work in New York City doing mostly M&A work. So I'm really excited to talk to Nate today about the Twitter Elon Musk case and specifically like how he thinks his article might relate to Twitter seeking specific performance. As you guys know, this is a 2008 paper that we're talking to him about specific performance and the 13th Amendment. And just to give our listeners some sense of why we're talking about Elon Musk in connection with the 13th Amendment and this paper, um, paper only came to my attention actually over the summer because of the Twitter Elon Musk or more specifically X Holdings litigation. And as we talked about in class, the that contract calls for specific performance as a standard. This is an issue that contracts law scholars think about, but that a lot of people a lot of the Twitterverse doesn't think about, um, but began talking about in, after the suit was filed. And it's caused some folks to argue that specific performance can't be granted in the case, even if it was a good idea to do it. And not everybody agrees it's a good idea to do it. But even if it was a good idea, some people have argued that the 13th Amendment's bar against indentured servitude would prevent that from happening. And as you guys just mentioned, uh, I know that 
in part, you're interested in this paper and this topic because of that litigation. So what are you hoping to get Nate to talk about specifically and the connection between his paper and the litigation? So Bridget, let's start with you. What are you hoping to talk to him about? So I'm really curious mostly about the fact that in the deal, Elon Musk himself, instead of X Holdings, is party to the specific performance provision. So I'd like to know if Nate thinks that that impacts sort of the court's decision on whether or not to grant it. And if he thinks that like the indentured servitude servitude analysis that he discusses in his paper would be at all relevant. Yeah. So I'm interested in that as well, right? And you and I talked about that a little bit um, in, in class. Even though the agreement is technically between Twitter and X Holdings, Musk is a party to particular provisions, including the specific performance provision. And I'm assuming that that's because of the funding mechanism, right, between Mm -hmm. him and X Holdings. But nonetheless, it still adds a wrinkle to it that I think is interesting that, you know, perhaps we can get Nate to talk about and that I haven't heard many other people talk about, but I have not been following the case as obsessively as many of my colleagues. And so (laughs) it's possible that I just missed it. Jen, what about you? What are you hoping to talk to him about? Yeah, so I think my question is very similar to Bridget's in some ways, but also just from a more general perspective. I think that in the context of like mergers and acquisition agreements, there are often termination fees negotiated by the parties um, for cases in which one party decides they don't want to go through with the deal. So like, I think what I'm interested in is in very similarly to the Twitter litigation, what at what point is specific performance going to be granted versus just going through with these termination fees? And how common is specific performance used in the context of these deals? Yeah, and this is a great question and one that I kind of have as well, or at least some aspects of it. Um, as is common in this agreement, there is both a termination fee and a specific performance provision. And the termination fee is a billion dollars, which sounds like a lot. But of course, in the context of what a $44 billion deal is small. And so I'm not certain how the two provisions operate together. It's possible that a lot of people don't know how they operate together, but we'll see what Nate says. And I I should clarify that uh, for our listeners who haven't perhaps yet read the paper, that these are are things that are beyond the scope of Nate's article. As we're going to talk about, Nate's article is really about the constitutional question and not some of these broader questions that we're bringing to his attention. But he is an expert in this field. And so I think that he very well may have thoughts on it that, that hopefully he'll share with us. Leaving aside for a minute the sort of application to Elon Musk, what else are you guys hoping to learn? What's What are you interested in? in learning during the course of this discussion. Bridget, I'll go back to you. Anything else that you're hoping to get out of this? Yeah, I'm definitely curious to get Nate's opinion on whether he thinks it would be more efficient for today's courts to adopt the historical analysis of indentured servitude and specific performance that the article discusses. Um, He mentioned several times throughout the article that its purpose was not to take a stance on whether specific performance should be allowed in some service contracts but I am hoping we can get him to share his personal opinion on the matter. And if he does support it, I'd be interested in hearing what, if anything, he thinks should be tweaked in the analysis to sort of align it with more modern legal views. Since, of course, 
um, the historical discussion dates back to a very different time. Good. And what about you, Jen? I think as evident as the fact that Bridget and I have very similar questions, the class expressed strong interest in like the details of what happens when specific performance is ordered and how that interacts with efficiency. And Nate touched on the efficiency considerations in his article, but I think we'd like to press him more on specific performance in the context of settlements and when fines sides find it more advantageous to not proceed with an agreement. So should we be enforcing specific performance in these contexts or should we let parties negotiate around that? So I think that's something that we're all really interested in is getting into the nitty gritty of efficiency in terms of specific performance versus damages. Okay, great. And hopefully he will let us take him there, whether it's part (laughs) of the article or not. Thanks for joining me for this little discussion, you guys. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you. We're very excited. Hello. Hey, Nate. How's it going? Fine. How are you doing, Tim? Good, good. Okay, so I'm going to first introduce my co-host for today. Uh, That's Jen and Bridget. They're going to ask the first set of questions, and I've already recorded a little conversation with them. Nate, the paper, this paper is from 2008, but as I mentioned to you when I invited you on the podcast, I actually didn't know about it until Twitter exploded this summer with discussion of your paper. And so my first reaction was, I, I can't believe that I, I didn't see this paper before. And also, wait a minute, how did we get involved in a discussion of the 13th Amendment in connection with Elon Musk? So if you're willing, can you tell us a little bit about the conversation around the 13th Amendment and specific performance in connection with Musk and how your paper is implicated in all of that discussion? Um, yeah, so um, the the merger agreement um, or the acquisition agreement or other uh, between Musk and Twitter uh, contains this provision in the agreement uh, in which the parties uh, agree that um, uh, there's, you can, uh, essentially you can elect, you can get a breakup fee or you can get specific performance. Uh, and, um, Twitter's asking for specific performance. So then the question that arises is, well, um, are there legal impediments to, to the, uh, specific performance in this case? And a number of people have raised this sort of old chestnut of an argument, uh, which goes something like this, which is there's a, a well-established common law rule. It's actually an equitable rule, I guess, to be technical, uh, that says you can't get specific performance of a personal service contract. Uh, and in uh, the United States, that rule has oftentimes kind of been justified in passing by the claim that if you were to get specific performance, that is, if you were to get an injunction ordering someone to perform a personal service contract, that that would violate the 13th Amendment. Um, so I got interested in that claim way back in the distant uh, past uh, and wrote this article about whether or not uh, it really was the case that um, specific performance of a personal service contract would violate uh, the 13th Amendment. Uh, and so this has come up in the case of Musk. Um, I actually have to say is I, I actually don't think uh, for a variety of reasons that this objection to the enforcement of, of that contract has any legs at all. I don't think there's any 13th Amendment, uh, colorable 13th Amendment issue in specific performance of uh, Musk's contract. We can go into that if you want, but uh, that would be my conclusion. Yeah, I think that if you're willing, we would like you to go into it because both Jen and Bridget are M&A practice bound and are very interested in the terms of the contract. And so to the extent we realize it's beyond the scope of your paper, but to the extent you're willing to discuss it, I think they'd be interested too. So I'm going to turn it over to Jen first to 
probe a little bit more into some of the questions about the contract. Hi, Nate. Thank you for being here with us. I think we're all excited to ask our questions and learn more. So I think you kind of touched on this a bit in your answer to the last question, but just generally in the context of M&A deals, there are termination fees for parties that don't want to necessarily go through with the contract, but there are also, or the agreement, but there are also um, these specific performance options. So like, is it common for acquirers or target companies to the extent of your knowledge to alternatively seek specific performance of the completion of the deal or are termination fees or similar damages preferable to specific performances in these contexts? And like, how generally available will specific performance be to buyers and sellers? And how do you think that the issues you raise in your article are implicated in these circumstances? So I I don't know uh, uh, in terms of frequency. I, I will say this: like it, it's not unprecedented or uncommon for people to seek specific performance of an M and A contract. Um, and uh, the Delaware Chancery Court has ordered specific performance of M&A agreements um, on, in many cases uh, in the past. It's also not uncommon for there to be um, just breakup fees and people get money. So um, in getting specific performance in an M&A contract, there, there are a couple of issues that get a little bit tricky. Um, so the, the classic equitable doctrine around specific performance, right, is that specific performance is an extraordinary remedy you have to show that your money damages would be inadequate uh, in order to get um, a specific performance as a remedy. So if I am a seller, um, uh, one uh, sort of doctrinal uh, hoop you've got to run through, you've got to figure out why is it that um, money damages are going to be inadequate? Because oftentimes as a seller, if, if the contract is performed, you're going to get his money. Um, so why is it that like just giving you a judgment isn't going to be inadequate? Um, and uh, oftentimes what you have in M&A agreements, as I'm sure you're aware, is that the, the purchase um, is actually pretty complicated, right? It could be cash. It could be a mixture of cash and stock. Um, and uh, the Delaware Chancery Court, at least, has held that uh, if a purchaser is uh, or sorry, if a seller is seeking specific performance, um, just the bare fact that you've got um, um, a mixture of, say, cash and options and cash and stocks means that money damages won't be an adequate remedy, uh, perhaps because the valuation of the options or the stock might be uh, imperfect or something uh, um, uh, something like that. There's also a sort of issue, and, I, and this has uh, come up in the discussion around the Musk case, um, is so suppose you're the jilted seller. And you get um, the money, uh, you just get money damages. You just get the purchase price. So in the Twitter case, it's whatever per share it was they were going to get out of Musk. Um, you might say, well, there's a negative reputational effect from being the jilted seller. And of course, that is, uh, is not going to be recoverable as damages unless you can prove it with specificity. And so therefore, your remedy is going to be inadequate. I will say the Delaware Chancery Court in particular uh, my sense is that they're actually really um, um, pretty liberal about granting um, specific performance uh, in merger agreements. Uh, and in some cases, they don't really do much more than a really pro forma, uh, if that, analysis of the sort of equitable doctrine. They'll just say, they treat it as a matter of contract interpretation. They'll just say, look, you guys agreed that there was going to be specific performance, and so we're just going to give you uh, what it is that, that you'd agree to. And that actually is, is something that's sort of um, 
I, I wouldn't want to say unique to the Delaware uh, Chancery Court, but is a place where the Delaware Chancery Court um, uh, practice and rules diverges from, say, the second restatement. Because the second restatement is pretty clear about saying you can't just contract in, uh, into uh, specific performance. Nate, do you have any insight for us going back to Jen's initial question about the, the, what is the interaction of the termination fee and the specific performance provision? How do they operate together? If It seems to me to undermine the notion that damages are not able to be calculated if you have both the fee and you have the call for specific performance. Or am I reading too much into to that um, notion? I, 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 I suspect um, conceptually, I, I take your point, which would be something like, um, if you got a termination fee in there, that's basically liquidated damages. And exactly. If got liquidated damages, we can calculate everything with certainty. So why bother with the equitable stuff? Um, so and, I, and so I, the mere the, fact that it's not called, I, I've had this discussion with a couple of of M and A folks, and they're like, no, 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 it's a term. I'm like, well, just because you don't call it liquidated damages doesn't mean it isn't. Although that that change works with lots of courts, as you and I both know. But right. conceptually, it just I'm not sure how they operate together? So I think the in the Delaware Chancery Court, um, they tend to be um, uh, treat the properly, I think. They treat the parties to M&A agreements as like highly sophisticated parties who can look out up to their own interests. Um, and um, uh, so they're generally speaking just going to say, well, th- again, they treat it sort of almost like a matter of contract interpretation rather than as an application of, of these equitable rules. Um, and uh, so they'll just say, well, if, if you write a contract that uh, gives you the ability to elect the termination fee versus specific, uh, specific performance, we'll just let we'll just enforce that contract as written. Uh, unless we've got some really, really sort of strong reason to suppose uh, that um, um, we shouldn't, like there was, we think that's fraud or something like, like, like that, right? right. Um, which of so, which of course is part of I guess Elon Musk's argument, right? About right, the bots, right. So right? This is, these are all the stories. Like he's he's saying, like you lied to me, or or at the very least, the the warranties, which is a slightly different issue, but the warranties uh, in the contract are, have not been met. And and I I suspect that outside of the M and A context and outside of the Delaware Chancery Court. Uh, your argument would have more legs, but my sense is that in Delaware, it just doesn't have it just doesn't have much, uh, at least in the Chancery Court, right? We're a really specialized body um, of law. One of the, one of the sort of interesting things about the specific performance issue there is that the specific performance um, of an M and A agreement may well be that like you're gonna like it's a shotgun marriage, right? Where you're forcing at least uh, uh, formally you're forcing two management teams that by this point in time probably have a pretty poisonous relationship because of litigation. Uh, and you just, you're just forcing them into this shotgun marriage um, and they're going to have to work together or one of them is going to get fired. Um, and the Delaware Chancery Court's basic uh, response is like, this is what you bargained to. You've made your bed. Now you get a lie in it. And I think we'll probably come back to some of those questions later in the podcast because there are a number of questions of, along that flavor in connection with personal service contracts. I wanted to move to Bridget now, who also had some questions about the Twitter Elon Musk litigation that I think will give you a chance, Nate, to talk about why you think this is a non-issue in this particular case. So go ahead, Bridget. Hi, Nate. Thank you for being here with us today. Um, 
you mentioned that you don't think that 13th Amendment will be at issue at all in this case um, with Twitter and Elon Musk. But I had come across an article online that argued that because Elon Musk himself, instead of X Holdings, was party to the specific performance provision, the 13th Amendment might be at play. But then again, you know, it's still an M&A deal. It's not really a service contract. So is that why you don't think the 13th Amendment will be at issue at all? Or is there any other insight you can provide us with? Um, yeah, so the, the there's sort of three reasons I don't think the 13th Amendment uh, uh, would be in play. So the first, is, as you mentioned, is the main party to the contract with Twitter is actually not uh, Elon Musk. It's an acquisition vehicle. Uh, and there's clearly like there's no 13th Amendment problem with there can't possibly be a 13th Amendment problem with like coercing a corporation into doing something right. Corporations aren't they're not natural people. They have owners. Right. They're like we, we enslave corporations all the time and, and we shouldn't feel bad about that. Uh, so uh, as to specific performance against this acquisition vehicle, like there's just there's nothing there. Um, so then Musk is also a party to the contract, but Musk is a party to the contract in a very limited sense, right? It is that he has certain obligations under the contract to provide um, uh, uh, essentially the purchase price through financing. So that's not a personal service obligation, right? It's an obligation to uh, ultimately to provide money. Um, my understanding is it's a bit more than just a debt. So it's not just like, a, um, I promise to pay you money. Right, it's to promise to do various things with his Tesla stock, but none of that would be a personal service contract. A personal service contract, right, is where I'm agreeing to work under you as an employee, and you're going to address uh, uh, direct me as my employer. Uh, so, so Musk isn't didn't contract to become uh, the employee of. Um, you know, either the acquisition vehicle or Twitter. And so it's just not a personal service contract. And so I don't think it's implicated in that sense. Um, and and I, I don't think, uh, and I, I don't think there's any plausible uh, 13th Amendment argument to be made that just sort of specific performance in general of contracts is suspect in the non-personal service contract context. And then the final reason I don't think it's a good argument is I just don't think the, the 13th Amendment prohibits um, specific performance of all personal service contracts. So that's more controversial than, than the other stuff. The other stuff I don't think is is, is necessarily controversial. I think the Delaware Chancery Court would agree with me on that. On, on the last point, they should agree with me, but I don't know if they would. <laughs> we're, we're here for the controversy, Nate. That's what this class is all about, as you know. 